we're going to be talking about Ahab, not the Arab, Sheik of the Burning Sand. How many thought of that? Had a, had a camel named... Is Wesley the only one who knows this? Clyde had a camel named Clyde. Okay, this is not the guy, so don't, we're not doing these songs from the whatever th that year. We're kind of setting up VBS, although this is where we are in 1 Kings, so we're doing our normal thing, but also we're setting up a little bit for VBS. And so the northern tribes, you, you remember, um, uh, they, they didn't have a single good king. And everybody up to this point, when they summarize all these kings, they say well, they, were just as, they, they were just as bad as Jeroboam. They were almost as bad as Jeroboam. They did everything just like Jeroboam. But now we have the guy who takes the cake for all of them. This is the guy that comes along and it starts saying things like, no one was ever this bad, right? He becomes the guy to say he is the standard of badness and his name is Ahab. So Jeroboam introduced idolatry into Israel as a state-approved action. But he at least called those golden calves that he set up, this is the God, this is Yahweh, this is the one who led you up out of it. So he was really violating one command, mostly. And, and, and it was also that they wouldn't go down south to Jerusalem and offer the proper sacrifices and then, and then form a union again with the south and then he'd be out of a kingdom. So he was, you know, he's motivated bad. But when Ahab comes on the scene, it says in chapter 16, verse 30, he sa it says of him, uh, and Ahab, the son of Omri, Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. Not only that, but I think I put it on a screen, 21, 25, and 26. There was none, this is toward the end, there was none who sold himself to do what was evil in the sight of the Lord like Ahab did, whom Jezebel, his wife, incited. He acted the ver very abominably. He was the abominable one in going after idols as the Amorites had done, whom the Lord cast out before the people of Israel. This guy just took the cake. And I want to describe for you two or three reasons why. And this is, if you want to be like Ahab, here's how you do it, right? This is how you do it. It begins in verse 31. This is just, George read it and you could almost, you could almost just see it slide by. And you could almost read by it. But I want you to notice this in verse 31. As if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sons, sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. As if it had been a light thing. Now he goes on to marry Jezebel, and that's a really bad thing. But as if all the stuff Jeroboam did was a light thing. Here's the first thing about Ahab that's so important for us to know is that sin to him was trivial. It was casual. It was no big deal. Next screen. It was just, it was no big deal. I'm doing what I was taught, I was raised in, my grandfather did, my great-grandfather did. Sin is no big deal. Here's how God describes it in the book of Isaiah. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. They make up their own minds. They view things their own way. Listen, when God describes sin, he's saying, I hate this. This is terrible. This is bad for you. This is bad to me. This is a big deal. And when we go, huh? Oh, all right, yeah, I sinned again. Whoops. Yeah, whatever. You ever play Trivial Pursuit? You know what trivial means? Whoop-de-doo, right? So you know this weird, obscure fact. The only thing that does for you is helps you win Trivial Pursuit. That's all it does. Nobody really cares. And it's, it's like that. He's so ho-hum. He comes onto the scene, and the things that break God's heart... He couldn't care less about. 
And sometimes we start viewing sin insignificantly. It's really no big deal. I mean, everybody sins. We've all sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. Yada, yada, yada. And it's trivial. So Ahab just decided, I don't, it don't matter. That could be sin. It may not be sin. Here's how we know sin is a big deal. Next screen, if you would. I, it, your, your sins, even little ones, even little bitty white ones, separate you from God. They create distance because God can't stand them. Now, the fact that he forgives is one thing, but remember this, it creates a barrier between you and God, and that's what sin does. I cannot stay in relationship with you because you're sin. Next one. The wages of sin is not just a little fine. It's not just God being a little mad at you. The wages of sin is death. It's going to cost death. You know that, right? Sin is, if you think sin is a big deal, you think the cross is no big deal. What do you think of the cross? We gather around this table every time we get together and we're saying it's a big deal. Next one. It must be atoned for because it leads to everlasting death. Hebrews chapter 10 even says, those Christians who used to taste the spiritual truths, who knew, when you start sinning deliberately, there's no sacrifice for your sins left. Sin is a huge deal, and the reason why God describes it in, in Scripture is to help us avoid it, and He wants us to take it on as that important to us too. But what you begin to find, you know the, the difference between the rates of divorce outside the church and in the church? Do you know what the difference is? Very little. You know what that means? We've adopted the views of the world about the indifference God has about marriage. That whole thing? Yeah, gossip? People in the church gossip just as much as people outside the church. It's almost like we're letting the world's eh about sin become the church's eh about sin. And that's not the way, that's the way Ahab was. It's just like, it's no big deal. It's just no big deal. Here's how God, here's a guy who is commended for how he viewed this. His name is Phineas. And Phineas, in, in Numbers chapter 25, sees, the, the, just, Moses just passed a rule. I don't want you to have any Midianite women, women, no Moabite women. I don't want you to take any foreign women. And even as he says it, there's an Israelite who takes a foreign woman into his tent. He just passed the law out loud. And right there, like a visual aid, here comes a, an Israelite marching. I'm disregarding you, Moses. I don't care what you say. I don't care what God thinks about this. I'm going to do it. Phineas is so appalled by this. How dare you do this? And he takes a spear and he stabs it through both of them. And God says, give that guy a prize. He was jealous with my jealousy. You know what that means? He's as offended as I am. He wants his people to be as shocked and offended and upset about their sin as he is. And when we start going, yeah, about our sin, we're being Ahabish. I remember a kid in a youth group who had this keychain one time. Sin now, on the other side, pray later. Sin now, pray later. Sin now, pray later. Sin now, pray later. 
And he ended up living like that too. But as if that wasn't bad enough, as if it wasn't bad enough that he didn't care what God cares about, he ends up marrying a woman that God would find disapproval, right? She was the daughter of Ethbaal. He was this fierce king, Tyre and Sidon, served and worshipped Baal with her. Now we don't have a king who allows it. Now we have a king who empowers it and models it in front of the entire people of God. I am the king over God's people, and I'm building a house for Baal. Now, yes, Solomon built a house for God in Jerusalem, but now we've got a new capital of the northern tribes. It's called Samaria, and there's not even a house for God in Samaria, but he's building a house for Baal. This guy is something. This woman is something. The way his selector is broken. Because if sin is no big deal, then who you marry ain't no big deal. Let me say it again. If sin is no big deal and you don't care about what God cares about, you will probably pick the wrong wife. Because that selector is broken, right? So he picks this woman who is this spokesman for Baal and sets this all up. Verse 33 says he did more to provoke God to anger than all the kings before him. He, he picked the wrong I, I just tell you, and because of that, he ended up going into her worship. We're talking about a guy who is from Israel and king, but he was really the queen, y'all. He was the queen. Jezebel was the king. And that's that. when you do that, when you do that in your marriage, especially with one who's a foreign woman, you got troubles coming your way. And it's because sin was no big deal. He didn't care what God cared about. So he married someone who didn't care about God either. Then comes this. And I want you to get this because this is the weirdest little. It's almost like you want to say, why? What are you talking about? He tells a little story. Right now we've been talking about Ahab, right? Sin's no big deal. He doesn't care about sin. Doesn't view sin the way God does. He married the wrong person. I get how that works. But then comes this strange story. Uh, in his days, 34, it's like there's a totally unconnected story put at the end of his. In his days, Hiel of Bethel built Jericho. He laid its foundation at the cost of Abiram, his firstborn. He laid a foundation. His firstborn son died. He set up its gates. His youngest son died, according to the word of the Lord that Joshua had spoken. What in the world does that belong in there? What's that got to do with Ahab? It's a bit of foreshadowing. Here's what Joshua said. You remember the Battle of Jericho? Everybody remember, right? How many times they marched around the city? Thirteen. Thank you, Randy. I knew. Some, I try to trick people. Everybody says seven. Well, it was seven on that last day, but it's thirteen altogether. Blew their trumpets, ah, and shouted, and the walls fell down. Right? You remember this? Well, at the end of that, Joshua had an oath. He uttered a curse. Cursed before the Lord is the man who rises up and builds the city Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn shall he lay its foundation. When he tries to build it, as soon as he has a foundation, his firstborn son's going to die. At the cost of his youngest son, he'll set up the gates. So as soon as he sets up the gates, his youngest son will die. I'm telling you, I'm arguing nobody remembered that. Nobody's paid attention to this curse. 
of this prophecy since it was uttered. Everybody just goes, huh, interesting, and they marched on. And it got layer and layer of dust and history on top of it. Nobody remembered it. Nobody reflected on it. Nobody even worried about it. It surely didn't stop anybody from building the city. But suddenly, somebody decides, I'm going to build this city, and it's a great location. Why not? And there used to be a city here. Why not? And they can't think of a good reason. Why not? Because they don't know the prophecy. But just because you don't know the Word of God doesn't mean it's not going to be effective on you. Just because you don't remember it, just because you can't recite it, and just because you might even think it's expired, doesn't change the fact that it's going to have its day. The Word of God is going to win, and it's going to prevail because it's running the world. The words of God are running the world. And even if you choose to disregard it and ignore it and act like it was never there, to even not put any effort knowing it all, it's going to have its day. this guy builds and loses two family members what's that got to do with Ahab it's foreshadowing it's foreshadowing when God has uttered his word and he's proclaimed it and he's written it for you even if your memory fades and you don't remember what it is it will win the day it will have its way the message is clear. The words become kind of like background noise. It becomes background, a bunch of noise signifying nothing. You may not know it. You may think that it's long since just been forgotten and God doesn't even care about it. You can ignore it. You can disregard it. You can, you can even ignore it for a while and it seemingly doesn't have any effect in your life. I know many people that will think, I know what you Christians say about sin and what it's going to do to me, but I've been doing this for years and I got no ill effects. I've got no ill effects. I've ignored the Bible all my life, and it's not doing anything to hurt me, right? And it may go on for years like that. But the Word of God will have its day. Even when people say it's old-fashioned, outdated, it's irreverent babblings, irrelevant babblings, they are evaluating you because the Word of God is living and active and sharper than a double-edged sword, and it will penetrate to the dividing of soul and spirit. God is running the world by His Word, and even when we disregard it and get away with it for a while, it is going to find you. That's a special note for Ahab to remember. And by the way, he kind of illustrates this. He, he ends up with plenty of chances Plenty of chances to reevaluate his life in light of it. He's going to have it personally spoken to him to his face in chapter 18. He's going to have it dramatically played out in front of him in chapter 18, just like we will in VBS next week. And he will ignore it, he will try to outrun it. And he will seemingly for a while get away with it, but eventually this word is going to catch up with him. And it's going to take him out. Here's some examples of what God does. So, so, so first of all, you'll refuse. It has nothing to do with me. It's not my responsibility. Let me just, I, I, you won't have to turn to these, but right before the fire comes down from heaven on Mount Carmel, God's problem, Elijah's problem is, he says to the people, do you serve Baal or do you serve God? Choose. And what did they answer? Does anybody remember? Nothing. 
They can't make up their minds. They're going to ride the fence by not saying anything. He can't get them to take a stand on anything. And so he decides, okay, if you're not going to, God's going to give you a demonstration. You want a demo? Here's a demo. And it's a big one. And he has Ahab there. But do you remember? Do you remember what Ahab said when he first saw Elijah after three years of famine? You remember what he said? There you are, you troubler of Israel. You're the one responsible for the water being turned off. That's ironic because who's responsible for the water being turned on? Ahab is. But when you view your sin lightly, it's always someone else's fault. It's never yours. You can blame somebody else. And Ahab does. Doesn't take responsibility. And he blames the only one... (laughs) who's being righteous at the time, Elijah. It's funny how the values change. The second thing is you miss out on God's warnings, which God provides for you. Here's something we've got to learn to do. When God gives a prohibition in Scripture, it is not as a bad guy. He's trying to save your life. When he gives you a warning, he's not trying to say, man, I'm going to whoop you if you do this. It's not that. He's saying, if you do this, it's going to hurt you. Warnings are good. And so Ahab is on a dangerous course. And so God takes him on this Mount Carmel with all his false prophets are right there. And God does this dramatic, dramatic demonstration for the people and for Ahab. And the fire comes down and boom, God answers dramatically. And Elijah takes all those false prophets and kills them in the valley, if you remember. And, and, and Elijah gets, I mean, Ahab gets to see all this. Surely this is going to change him, isn't it? You see the end result of your, the the emptiness of your own pursuit of Baal. You see it, right? You're going to change. Nope. Doesn't change a thing. He goes back mad, tells Jezebel, and Jezebel gets mad and puts out an APB on Elijah. Then God tries to be nice, 1 Kings chapter 20. He's going to give him a whole other nation of people. He's going to give him victory in war, even though Ahab doesn't deserve it. He's going to reign for 22 years, and he should have been taken out after 22 minutes. But God's gracious. He gives him victory in this war that he shouldn't have had. God even tells him, I'm going to fight for you even though you're not fighting for me. And Ahab says, thank you very much. And you think God, so God tries to dramatically demonstrate for him. He tries to, he tries to appease him and woo him by doing gracious things. And then Naboth, you remember Naboth's vineyard? He wanted Naboth's vineyard, but Naboth wouldn't sell it. It was his family land, and so Jezebel kills him, has him killed. God is so angry with Ahab, he wants to kill him. But Ahab repents. Yeah, after God curses him, he repents, and God says to Elijah, can you see how brokenhearted he is? Let's forgive him, and shows him more grace. Does it work? Doesn't work. It's interesting, all the warnings that he gives him, gracious ones and stern ones and dramatic ones, and none of it does anything. And there's one other thing of what you do when you're an Ahab-type person. You surround yourself with the wrong people. Favorite line that Ahab says. He wants to get the southern king to go to war with him, and he agrees. But the southern king says, before we do that, let's ask God's prophets. 
and all of Ahab's prophets are in his pocket. They're on the payroll. They're going to do what Ahab tells them to. And they all go, yeah, go, yeah, go. And the king says, the southern king says, no, just a minute. Let's, let's ask a prophet of God. Elijah says, okay, I know one. His name's Micaiah, but I hate him. I hate him because he never prophesies anything good about me. I love that. He would rather pay liars than be close to a truth teller. I would rather pay people to like me than to have one person tell me the truth. I know some people who live like that. I would rather surround myself with people to tell me what I want to hear than have one person who will tell me the truth. That's what happens when you're like Ahab. That's what's so bad about him. Sin is no big deal. He marries this person who leads him into false prophecy, and he doesn't care at all about the Word of God, even though the Word of God is running the world. And all these things happen. So here's the question and the mystery that you have to ask yourself when you look at Ahab. How can a person learn? And when I say a person, how can you, how can I learn to embrace God's view of things as the right one so we actually submit to it? I mean, I think I know everybody in here pretty well knows what God says about sexual purity. How can I get myself to adopt God's view of sexual purity rather than this world's and even my own inner desires? How can I veto myself and accept God's view and embrace it completely to, it, to where it runs my life? How can I learn to embrace God's view of telling the truth? I will not lie. I will not deceive. I will not misrepresent myself to anybody no matter what because that's the God I serve and that's what he calls me to instead of getting used to telling these little lies all the time. How can I look at that word and really consider it the word of God? How can I look at it and say, it's going to be what instructs me? It's going to be what I give the right to correct me. If I'm doing something here and this is what the Word says, I'm going to let it correct me because I've embraced this view that God's view of things is higher than mine. Ahab couldn't do it no matter what God did. How can you get yourself to do it? Don't argue against it. Quit arguing against Scripture. Don't try to water it down. Don't call it old-fashioned. Oh, that's how God used to think, but it ain't no big deal. And besides, I've broken it, and it doesn't seem to be all that big a deal. Listen, God's Word's going to have its day. It's going to have its day in you and everybody else because it is the standard God uses to judge. And at the end of time, He's going to have His Word right here and your life right here. And if it doesn't line up, guess which wins? His Word does. So let it win now. Let it have its day now. Don't force it to be pleasing to you and agree with you before you agree with it. Don't say, I know what it says, but I feel this way. I, 
I think this way. I want this. No, no, don't make it, don't make it, don't make it have to agree with you before you obey it. And what God calls sin, even though everything within you says, I don't understand why it's that big a deal, can you go, God calls it sin, it's a big deal to him, so guess what, it's a big deal to me. Can you do that? Accept his discipline and his warning as an expression of the grace of correction. Surround yourself with people who care about what God cares about. There's a biggie. Because, y'all, when we start hanging around with people who think sin is trivial, we'll start thinking the same thing. Be careful who you marry. All these are safeguards to keep you from becoming like Ahab. Because that's what was so bad about Ahab. He didn't end well, things didn't go well, and you don't want to go there. So let's not be Ahabish. Let's accept God's view. Embrace it. Trust it. Submit to it. If there's anything we can do for you this evening, make it known as we stand, as we sing to encourage you.